The Start On Demand. Hey, it's the Friday edition of the podcast for The Start, Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And today we're going to talk about the double standard when it comes to attire for female athletes. There was this brouhaha this week about Serena Williams. She was wearing a cat suit during one of her matches. Well, the cat suit was a clot-preventing compression cat suit. She wasn't wearing it just to be sexy. But the powers that be said, no, you can't wear that. So she said, you know what? I'm going to wear a tutu. And she did, and good for her. We're also going to talk about how RCMP families act in a crisis with the RCMP Veterans Association after the shooting situation in Onanol this week. We're going to hear from Bob Irving. He's going to tee up the Labor Day Classic. The annual Labor Day Classic goes this weekend. Bombers in Regina to take on the Riders. Then we'll hear from federal conservative leader Andrew Scheer on the Trans Mountain Pipeline decision. And finally, we'll hear about the latest edition of the Global News podcast, This Is Why. And this week's edition explores Canada and the Catholic Church in the wake of yet another scandal. Enjoy the podcast and have a great long weekend. Tennis world is at a breaking point after Serena Williams got in trouble for wearing a cat suit on the court. Elise Cornet. Greg, did I say that right? Kelly Moore, did I say that right? Elise Cornet. It's not Alizé. That is in the affirmative. You're clear, McGarry. Halloween costume? Oh, speaking of names, Dave Anderchuk. Was oh, the hockey playing. player I was trying to think of that, right. that could really skate backwards, <laughs> if at all. No, it was uh, she was wearing like a clot preventing oh. compression oh. cat suit. It's like a medical thing. Yeah. So, uh, but she was told she can't wear it anymore. And this Cornet also got penalized for briefly taking off her top after realizing it was on backwards. Don't have time to we had we had a global news Mike Drolet report teed up. We don't have time to play it, but uh, male tennis players don't take the same heat. You've seen pictures of Novak Djokovic sitting on the sideline with his shirt off for God knows how long. For years, that, that's, that, that's all a, it's that's been. That's a beautiful sight. <laughs> you wow. know, the Joker sitting there with his shirt off. He's the well, but the, the double standard is yeah. beyond ludicrous. And one of the greatest moments in American sporting history is when Brandy Chastain rips off her Team USA jersey as a as, as she scored the game winning goal, the World Cup clinching goal. It, it, it sold Nike more sports bras than anything ever could have. And what is the difference, seriously, between a sports bra? And someone wearing a bra, you know, a bikini on the beach. Nothing. 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 And it's actually not even a fair comparison because they're taking off their shirt and you'd call that nude. The the men underneath, right? You're half nude. Woman takes it off, has a sports bra, which most of them look like tank tops now. They're, They're perfect. And she gets in trouble for it. Now, they took it back yesterday, said, we're sorry, we shouldn't have done it and all the rest. But the fact that a that a referee or what do they call it? In chair umpire. Chair umpire sat there and pointed to her and said, well, sorry, be, you're only, in the wrong. Only because they're following the rules, though. That, Why is that a rule? Well, and they, they probably, you know, common sense probably should have prevailed there. The other thing I just want to throw into this really quick is they're playing under an extreme heat re- rule, rather, in the U.S. Open. Right, they have extra breaks because it's so hot right. in New York right if now. A, if a women's match goes to a third set, then in between the second and third sets, they have a 10-minute break. Now they've also invoked that for the men if it's going to a fourth set. So with with respect to the heat, like if they need to change their shirt more often, then 
For God's sakes, let them do it. And I mean, you're playing in stadiums named after Billie Jean King and Arthur Ashe. Like, yes. t- you know, tennis prides itself in being progressive. And uh, are you kidding me? I'm is waiting. It- I'm waiting for Braun to make some kind of a joke. Here. No, there's no joke. It's, it's, it's I'm with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. I tennis and golf even more so. Any of these sports where there's these high-minded stuffiness in regards to the rules just drives me nuts. It's like, who, who do you think you are? You're not the Queen of England, and it's not tea time. You're out there hacking away at a ball or swinging a, a glorified club. You're all sweaty. Who cares? Yeah, with the LPGA last year, they changed their dress code. Uh, I think it was mostly in response to the stuff that Michelle Wee was wearing because yeah. she was wearing very short skirts and plunging necklines and kind of backless shirts. But so what? Yeah, that's you know? her. Pre- that's her preference. <laughs> yeah, but now it's uh, plunging necklines are not allowed, and that's an upper. Good that's Lord. in caps. Leggings, unless under a skirt or shorts, must are not allowed. A length of skirt. Uh, Scort shorts must be long enough to not see your bottom area. Yeah. It's covered by undershorts. And I I just, look, I get that, you know, if I'm watching the LPGA and Michelle Wee's wearing a tight skirt, yeah, I like that. But I also like watching it because of the golf, just right. as I'm sure many people enjoy when Novak Djokovic takes his shirt off or when guys, you know, do their thing in soccer where they slide along the ground and take their shirts off or whatever. It just so happens they're all professional athletes, and a lot of them are super fit and super sexy. And aren't they, in many cases, wearing it? I mean, sure, it might look good, but the the point is to advance your athleticism or to make the whatever sport you're in do the best you can. So sometimes it could be aerodynamics, or I feel better, or I'm not as sweaty in this outfit, or it helps me stretch. I don't know. Or I've got a really good endorsement deal. <laughs> <laughs> no! Now, Greg, we will start with what happened yesterday in Onanol. Four specs, suspects, pardon me, are now in RCMP custody after an officer was shot in the Onanol area Wednesday night. Corporal Graham Kingdon was responding to a break and enter call in the Onanol area when he was fired at. We wanted to get some insight into how a crisis like this uh, can affect officers. Joining us live on 680 CJOB from Ottawa is Ralph Mayer with the RCMP Veterans Association. Thank you so much for joining us, Ralph. Um, I know this is a spouse's and a family's worst case scenario to sort of get that knock on the door. And yet we know it happens. Tell me how your group helps out in a situation like this. Well, the uh, the RCMP Veterans Association, um, first off, I guess, basically, once you're a member of the RCMP, you're always a member of the RCMP family. And... uh, Many of the of the, the uh, RCMP officers, members, when they uh, when they retire, they either end up uh, uh, living in the in the communities that they that they retired in, or oftentimes moving back to the communities that they had once been posted in. And uh, so they're there. You know, they're they're friends with uh, with the members, they're friends with the families. Uh, they're in touch, and uh, they're there, and they provide their support uh, through presence, uh, through being there. And as an association. Um, we use our, our social media platforms to inform our own members across the country of, uh, of uh, uh, very unfortunate, tragic incidents such as this uh, to keep them informed, keep them abreast. And many of them may know the, uh, the, uh, the members involved and, and will reach out on their own. And, and I guess as an association, um, we've got a very, thankfully, we've got a very close 
uh, working relationship with the RCMP, fraternal relationship with the RCMP. Uh, they know we're there and, and uh, we're there for, to help uh, whenever they ask us. The images from yesterday that we saw um, of where the shooting occurred and in that small town, you could see RCMP vehicles just flocking to the area. I know a lot would be coming in to help out with the investigation as they were searching for those suspects, Ralph. But I imagine sort of as the network expands and the ward got out that one of their own was injured, wounded. Um, there's, there's that instinct to get there and do what do what you can to help. Yes, you know, absolutely, certainly. The uh, of course, the, the you know the the communications channels would have would have would have uh, alerted uh, members uh, of an incident of an officer down, and uh, and they would have uh, responded as a as a, as a first priority. So tell us then about the the RCMP family. How might they be? As you mentioned, if you're once you're in the RCMP, you're part of the family. So how might they be rallying around his family? Well, you know, it, uh, it they'll respond exactly as uh, as members of, of a family respond to any incident involving a serious injury to one of their own family members. You know, they, they reach out. They reach out to the spouses, to the partners. They offer compassion and, and support, uh, again, by being there, by being present. They'll help the family, uh, you know, to and from the hospital. Um, they'll prepare meals so the family doesn't have to. They'll help with child care. They'll get the kids, pick the kids up after school. Um Give the kids some tor- some normalcy, some some TLC. Um, you know they they'll they'll call other family members and other friends uh, with news and updates, uh, so so family members don't have to. You know they'll they'll do chores, they'll 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 do whatever the families need need to support them in that in that context. And I guess you know it's it's important to recognize that RCMP uh, members are f- from all over the country and are posted all over the country, so they're often times thousands of miles, hundreds of thousands of miles away from their own family. So, so their colleagues become their family. They don't replace their family by any, by any stretch or immediate family, uh, but they're there and they support each other as brothers and sisters. No, and it, this is a unique circumstance in which Officer Kingdon uh, uh, essentially worked uh, in the community where he grew up. And I know you mentioned this, Ralph, that that's not always the case. In fact, it's fairly seldom the case. My neighbor is an RCMP officer and he hails from Newfoundland. Uh, absolutely love the guy. But we know that this is part of life in the RCMP. Uh, sadly, that uh, you know, that's uh, that's absolutely the case. It, it's very true. But in the context of what you're saying with regard to the communities, you know, the, the members become uh, become very much part of the, the communities themselves. They're they're soccer moms and and, and hockey coaches, and they're, you know, they're they're cooking hot dogs at the uh, at the uh, the school lunch day. So they become very much part of that uh, of those communities, and the communities themselves often uh, uh, very much see these uh, these members as 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 their own. Uh, they reach out uh, as they can. They provide the support that they can, either through uh, bringing meals and food and coffee to the detachment when they when they know that uh, an incident such as this has happened. Uh, you know, they they, uh, they they pass their support um, by by a nod, by a thumbs up, by a wave at a cruiser that's going by when they know that their uh, that their members are are, uh, are in pain. You know. And that makes it more difficult, Ralph, because having grown up in that area and, and in a small town, I knew several RCMP officers over the years. It adds a layer of challenges to everybody there because they want to do what they can to support that family. But also it, they everyone in the town will know or know somebody who knew Corporal Kingdon or, or in many of those communities, whether it was this incident or not, they have to deal with it themselves. And so they're, they're reeling and the community's reeling and the RCMP family's reeling. 
no, that's that that's uh, you know that's right on the money. It's very true. The the uh, um, the communities that you know, I, I, and I I served in Manitoba many many years ago. We had a uh, an incident uh, um, similar in many respects. Um, the community reached out to us, and uh, they were um, so uh, so compelling in the way that they that they provided pro- provided the support. We knew they felt it, and. Uh, um, it helped us. It helped us manage uh, that situation and uh, uh, and keep going on. So if you're in Onanol or Ericsson or Minidosa this morning and you're wanting to do something to help, what would you recommend people do? You know, I think it's important that uh, that, that uh, members of the public um, recognize that uh, that they're uh, the, the first off, police officers are, are involved in a very serious um, investigation um, and uh, there are privacy issues as well with respect to the to uh, to the families uh, both of the of uh, injured officer and, uh, and and of colleagues etc whatnot it's important to, re- to respect that privacy and and and, and members uh, of the public can provide support whether it's uh, whether it's through social media through whether it's a on a Twitter account or Facebook account or or uh, that type of thing I think they'll uh, I, actually I, I honestly believe that the that the members of the community themselves know the members within the community well enough, and, and they probably know what those boundaries and those parameters are. And my expectation is they're pro- probably providing the kind of support right now that uh, that the members need. Ralph, uh, and, and please forgive me if this is too early. We, we spoke to a veteran, a former veteran and member of the RCMP for 20 years, and she mentioned to us that, you know, there are still one uh, officer cars on the road in rural Canada, and RCMP members have to deal with that uh, maybe more often than we realize. Uh, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but there are going to be people asking questions about what can we be doing differently in circumstances like Officer Kingdon uh, encountered yesterday in a general sense what would you like the rcmp uh, members and the public to hear today about uh, the opportunity to learn from from incidents like this what i can tell you is that uh with any serious or critical incident uh the rcmp and any and any police force for that matter uh does a, a very careful assessment of the circumstances um after the fact uh when uh when they've got the opportunity to do that and uh once the the priority of the investigation itself is is passed, they they are always looking to ensure that their officers have got uh, um, are are as safe as they can possibly be within a, within a, a very risky uh, environment, threat environment that they work within. Uh, so they will look and and study uh, any and every incident to see uh, what transpired, what happened, um, and uh, and try and and determine from that if there is anything that could possibly be done to prevent a reoccurrence in the future. The, uh, this is a huge priority for for them, and they, they spend an awful lot of time and effort doing just that. Ralph Mayer with the RCMP Veterans Association. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Ralph joining us live from Ottawa today on 680 CJOB. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Greg Mackling. An exciting event every year, the Labor Day Classic. Yeah, you, you don't need to really circle it on your calendar because it's the Sunday of the Labor Day long weekend. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 54 times now, gone to Regina for the annual Labor Day Classic. The Rough Riders and the Blue Bombers, and this rivalry goes beyond football 
Bob Irving, the legendary voice of the Blue Bomber, joins us now. And Bob, before we get underway, 54 Labor Day Classics, 45 years at CJOB for you, our friend. Congratulations on that. You're dating me again, Greg, but thank you very much. <laughs> well, I, I would love to date you, but uh, th- I'm not allowed. Company policies prevent such things. Okay, good. Okay. good. <laughs> He's not interested, Greg. Yeah, I know. I, I don't blame him at all. This is um, really one of the staples of the Canadian Football League, Bob. When when things were at their darkest, we always had the, the Labor Day Classic, and, and things have not always been as rosy for the CFL as they are right now, but this game really highlights what is best about our our, our uh, Canadian Football League. Yeah, it sure does. And this entire weekend, because Edmonton and Calgary play on Monday, and that's a rivalry that it runs as deep as any of them. And Hamilton and Toronto play on Monday as well. But this one is special. Uh, it's still special for me. The atmosphere surrounding the game, it's always sold out in Regina. It doesn't matter what the records of the teams are. It's still considered to be a big game because it's Saskatchewan against Winnipeg, Manitoba against Saskatchewan, and I look forward to it every year, and uh, it's going to be a, a very pivotal game this year for sure for the Blue Bombers. Bob, are there any safe zones for Winnipeg fans in Regina this weekend? Like, there, are, are there, Is there like a Winnipeg HQ? Well, you know, usually the, the uh, banter that goes on between the fans is friendly. Uh, it's nonviolent, I would say. There's... Uh, probably quite a few beverages that are consumed. But I see Bomber fans everywhere, Brett. I don't know that there's a particular place they can go and not be harassed by Saskatchewan fans, but I don't think any of the fans from Winnipeg go there to not be harassed. I think they enjoy the exchanges that go on. And I know when I go to the game early in the morning and walk over to the stadium, there are Bomber fans all over the place. And there's one spot in particular, a small house right beside Mosaic Stadium where they have a a pregame party, and there's always, you know, 20 or 30 Bomber fans there whooping it up, getting ready for the game. I know the Bombers, you know, traditionally have a terrible time at the Labor Day Classic. I think just one out of the last 14 years that they've only won just the one time. So heading into this weekend, does the team know that, care about that? I mean, how do they get past the idea that when they go into that stadium, they are most certainly always perennially the underdogs? Yeah, I think they probably know about it. I don't think they care about it, Loren. You know, there's a lot of players who haven't played in the game that many times, but they've certainly been told by their teammates uh, about the significance of this game. But what's happened in the past, I'm not sure matters. It's interesting, Mike O'Shea's record against Saskatchewan as a head coach is 6-5. and So the Bombers, with O'Shea as a coach, have had a pretty good record against Regina, and they've won there a couple of times. They lost the Labor Day Classic last year, but they did win it in 2016. So uh, I guess uh, some of the players on the team who've been around for two or three years probably have a pretty good feeling when they play Saskatchewan. Now, Bob, I'm just going to throw this out there. I've been to the Labor Day Classic once, and that was in 2004, and the mm-hmm. Bombers did win that game. So I am I'm batting a thousand. So if the yeah. Blue Bombers are looking for you know a, a lucky rabbit's foot, I could disguise myself as a rabbit's foot. Just just putting that out there. <laughs> hey, uh, Bob, <laughs> these teams both have five wins, but Saskatchewan has one less loss than the Blue Bombers. So if we were playing baseball, they'd kind of be half a game ahead in the standings. This is this is huge for all the reasons we talk about and, and speak about off the field, but this is a gigantic game in terms of, the, in terms of the standings. Yeah, and I think even beyond that, Greg, the Bombers have lost two games in a row, 
and your you know your confidence tends to waver a little bit when you're losing. So to lose a third straight game would not be good. And they could come back here, of course, next weekend and play the Banjo Bowl. What happened last year was the Bombers went into Regina with a seven and two record, lost decidedly in the Labor Day Classic, and then came back and clobbered the Riders in the Banjo Bowl. So, you know, I think a lot of fans think if the Bombers lose this game, the season is over, but I would remind them about what happened last year. The only difference would be that last year they were 7-2. and two. This year they're 5-5 five and five and sort of headed in the wrong direction. So I think this game could really get their season pointed in the right direction if they win it. If they lose it, it's not over, but it wouldn't be good. Bob, what time does the broadcast start on Sunday? Doug and I'll be on at noon with the pregame show. We'll have a two-hour pregame show, and then the kickoff is at two, and uh, you don't want to miss it because it's going to be full of action and passion and all those great things that uh, make Labor Day so special. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us, and once again, uh, congratulations on on 45 years of service. Thank you, sir. I've been fooling them a long time, haven't I? (laughs) (laughs) The gig's still not up, Bob. You're going to have to do it at least one more weekend. Okay, for sure. Thanks a lot, Bob. Right now, we're going to start, Loren, with the fallout that continues this morning after the Federal Court of Appeal overturned the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Yeah, that happened early yesterday morning, but hours later, Alberta, Alberta's Premier Rachel Notley then dropped another bombshell, announcing that the province there was pulling out of the Federal Climate Plan, saying it can't happen without the pipeline project going forward. A project Conservative leader Andrew Scheer says would never have hit so many roadblocks if his party was in power. Scheer is in Winnipeg this morning, wrapping up a two-day visit and joins us now. Thank you for joining us, Andrew. Good morning. So let's play this game. You're the leader of the country now. You're the prime minister. What would you do to fix this situation? Well, uh, you know, this is a frustrating thing for so many uh, people across Canada who now find ourselves uh, owners of a pipeline project that uh, has no path to being built. Uh, We have to go back and look at what the Trudeau Liberals have done to the energy sector. First of all, uh, they killed two pipelines, the Northern Gateway Project and Energy East for political considerations. And then they added so many layers and regulatory hurdles through the to the existing approvals process. And even after that, couldn't even hit their own uh, threshold. So all those things we would have done differently. We would not have uh, put all the pressure on Trans Mountain uh, by killing those other two projects and added uh, the new regulatory burden. So uh, Justin Trudeau promised that, we, that uh, the carbon tax would buy social license to get these projects built. Uh, pretty soon we're going to have a carbon tax and no energy expansions. So uh, I'm guessing then if we fast forward to October, then Mr. Shear and you become prime minister, you would retract those changes and the hoops and hurdles that pipelines would need to go through and over in order to get built in this country? Well, exactly. You know, uh, I'll, I'll give an example of one of the changes that uh, the Liberal government made. Uh, prior to their new legislation, in order to be able to appear before a hearing uh, for a, uh, an approvals process, you had to show that you're either affected by the route of the, the pipeline or that you had some kind of expertise. You had to, to prove that you were qualified to speak to it. Uh, the Liberal government has changed that now to literally any Canadian anywhere. Uh, so, you know, the, the idea of groups and, and protesters uh, from other parts of the country showing up to 
to, to have their uh, to, to, to put a submission in really will bog this process down. So there are lots of little changes like that. There are some bigger changes as to uh, how, how this whole thing works. And at the end of the day, all it has led to is uh, a regulatory process that leads to a no. And what Canadians want is a robust process with tough environmental standards, but with a path to a yes, a goalposts that stay on the goal line so we can actually get our resources to market. At the end of the day, though, the, the push is to use less oil. So where does this leave us if, if the goal is to have better environmental standards but also get this pipeline built? There's sort of a, a conflict, conflicting interest here. I, I, I don't uh, b- believe that's the case. I mean, when you look at uh, the, the energy that comes out of Canada, uh, in a, we were a country with uh, very tough environmental standards, with an uh, uh, excellent record on human rights, and uh, with, uh, with Canadians who benefit from the resources. When we can get our resources to market, we can displace uh, oil that's uh, being extracted uh, in, in, in countries with much lower standards, uh, with terrible human rights regimes. A- energy East would have brought Western Canadian energy to Eastern provinces, uh, displacing Saudi Arabian and Venezuelan oil. Uh, those are things that, 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 that Canadians support. Uh, we, we've made huge advances in uh, the oil sands in Alberta and with the convention or, conventional oil as well. But we should be celebrating that and promoting that around the world. Even the most advanced jurisdictions on this stuff, Andrew Scheer, uh, like California, acknowledge that there has to be some sort of combination, right, between fossil fuels and and new technology in order to keep the economy moving, but also to advance and to move towards that sort of quote-unquote carbon zero target, which is, is way off in the distance. In the meantime... How do we properly exploit, and, and I don't mean exploit in the, in the horrible terminology associated with that word, but ensure that we get the most economic benefits out of this resource? And I guess it is one word, pipelines. I, I think I, I would re-ask Lauren's question, Lorenz's question this way. How do we balance it? How do we find that balance? Well, I think that's a, that is a, a legitimate goal that all... Uh, politicians in good faith should be working towards. Uh, what I don't have time for are the radical protesters who just want no for the sake of, uh, of obtaining a no. But it's not the uh, protesters that, that but, stepped in the no, way but, yesterday, Mr. Shear. It, it, is, it is a court of Canada that, that stepped in the way. The protesters no. are there, but I mean, they didn't make this decision. They're a pain no, in our no, backside. No, I'm not referring to their involvement in this particular decision. I'm just talking about the conversation in general. When you have a push to just, uh, you know, get these things blocked, uh, just just on ideological grounds, I th- I think part of that balance is pipelines, a huge part of that, because uh, pipelines allow us to get uh, oil off of rails, so, so we're not burning diesel fuel to uh, transport uh, uh, oil. Uh, every government should, uh, both provincial and federal, also be investing in things that make us more energy efficient. But like you said, uh, we are going to be using uh, oil and gas uh, in the world for uh, for a long time to come. And Canada, uh, with our excellent track record, should be supplying the world's energy. That That is something I think the two can go hand in hand. So uh, a conservative government has and will in the future support investments in, in other types of, of energy. Uh, we will be investing in helping companies uh, reduce their emissions targets. Those are things I think have to be part of the balance, but it can't just be uh, shutting down the oil sands. 
one year to the election, you admitted just this week that one of your biggest challenges is just for people to even know who you are, to know your name, to recognize it at the ballot box. So you're in Winnipeg this week. How are you going to go from, you know, I wouldn't say virt- you're not virtually unknown, Andrew, but there's some challenges there to t- sort of get that name recognition equal to the prime minister. Oh, for sure. And I recognize that. Uh, it's always a problem for any leader of the opposition. Uh, the government uh, gets uh, media attention every time it makes an announcement because uh, they are the government. And Justin Trudeau takes that to a whole new level, being a, an international celebrity with, with that type of uh, status. I've, uh, we can tell a huge improvement between last year and this year. Uh, traveling around based on the media interviews I've been doing by the social media uh, posts we've been putting out there and just by traveling to communities several times. So uh, we're going to keep doing that. Uh, I believe uh, it's working. uh, I'm being recognized more and more. But most importantly, it's the issues that we're fighting for that that Canadians know where the party stands are on. Yes, personality and, and leadership will be important in the next election, but so too will policies and track records. And right now, uh, we're making huge improvements on that. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time and the access. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity. We want to start with... The Catholic Church, once again, embroiled in a sex abuse scandal with allegations that the cover-up involves the highest levels of the Church, including the Pope. The latest edition of the Global News podcast, This Is Why, asks the question, to what extent does this problem affect the Canadian Catholic Church, and how much was covered up? To give us a preview, we are joined live on 680 CJOB by the host of This Is Why, Nikki Reitmeyer. Good morning to you, Nikki. Good morning. Happy to join you guys for just a nice light Friday topic. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, just uh, I can hear the frying pan sizzling in the corner oh. here. So yeah, thanks geez. very much. We just finished talking about uh, pipelines and, and that situation with the uh, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Andrew Scheer, just after 8 o'clock this morning. And now now we have to talk about the Catholic Church and, and what's going on there. Uh, Nikki, uh, first of all, congratulations on having the uh, courage to, to talk about this because even staunch Catholics are not happy happy about what's going on and, and how the church is handling this. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see the reaction from uh, people within the church, ordained members of the church, to see the reaction of people who are followers of, of the Catholic faith. And one question that you know we asked this week in, in the podcast is, how can you still be a Catholic? Not, not how can you believe in God, but how can you still be a Catholic moving forward after knowing everything we know now about the widespread sexual abuse of children that happened in the Catholic Church? Because really, the matter is twofold. You can, you can blame the church for, for the abuse itself that occurred you know, over decades and around the world. But the second part of this is the cover-up, this this conscious and systematic cover-up where priests were moved to different parishes once 
officials or higher-ups, archbishops and so forth, became aware of what was happening and what was going on. Then there was the withholding of information when investigators and police were actually trying to get to the bottom of these sexual abuse complaints. You had the church withholding information very actively. In fact, Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro said that the Catholic Church threw roadblocks constantly in front of him while he was trying to do his now very infamous and extremely damning investigation into the Catholic Church. So the question I suppose I have for for anyone listening right now, just thinking to themselves and perhaps saying to themselves out loud or whoever's in the car with them is, how can you still be a Catholic after knowing everything you know now? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that question, but I think this has really made people question not their belief in God as much, but their belief in the system of faith. And what are you hearing? Because that is the prevailing question. And, you know, 20 years ago, uh, for the first layers of cover-up came out, and then 10 years ago, there's more, and then now you have another, I don't want to use the word round, but it, it's it's constant. It, the, the fact that it was not only happened, but the constant re- revelation of a cover-up here, there, everywhere, it feels sometimes, leaves that question. What are you hearing from Catholics in the faithful out there? Well, we're hearing some frustration, that's for sure. And we're hearing calls for change, both within the church from ordained members and from the public as well. We we are speaking to a father, a priest next week, and he's outraged. He, he's, he's infuriated by what has happened inside the church. Well, we've heard many statements being released from the church across Canada, across the United States, around the world, from the Pope himself, saying that they're extremely upset about about what happened, that they're outraged about what happened. I spoke to a survivor named Leona Huggins. She was abused for a long time, starting at age 13 in 1975. She reported the abuse in 1991 when she found out that her abuser, Father McCann, was running a youth group camp. And I asked her, I said, you know, after after everything we know about the systematic cover-up of abuse, after the experiences that you've had, when you hear these statements being released from church officials, do they sound sincere to you? Here's what she had to say. It sounds sincere, it absolutely sounds sincere, but it rings hollow in the ears of survivors who have been working to have their stories heard over many, many years. So you can hear the frustration in her voice. You can hear how upset she is and how continued she is with that frustration. And I think that's frustration is the main word I would say that I've I've heard from survivors. Now, as far as uh, you also spoke with Leona regarding the, I guess, how social media has contributed to the conversation over the years, what she have to say about that? Yeah, she said that social media has been, you know, significant in blowing the lid off a lot of these stories. You know, Lauren, you said there's been this, these rounds of stories that we've been hearing. And I don't think that rounds is necessarily a bad a bad word to use because that's kind of what it feels like, you know, from the 50s and then mostly in the 80s. And then again, in the 90s, we keep hearing these allegations. You know, the John Jay report came out. The Spotlight report by the Boston Globe came out. And now here we are in 2018 and more and more and more allegations are coming forward forward, Leona had to say that social media was fundamental in getting us to where we are now. Listen to this. I can't imagine where we would be without social media. Um, In 1991, when I came forward with my report, I felt all alone. And it's thanks to social media that our voices have been able to join together. And there are now people all over the world that are finding their voice 
and recognizing that they're not alone. They are part of a global crisis in the church. And on that subject of the that crisis, what is uh, Leona think uh, what's coming in the future? Yeah, it's interesting. She definitely doesn't think that this is the bottom. And I found it really interesting when she said that there could be a new rape, a wave because of all the mass migration that's happening right now. Check this out. Predators are attracted to places where they can work with children and they will find the vulnerable. So I don't think it's going away, but how we respond to it and how we act after is what's important. All sorts of conversation about whether policies need to change uh, with regard to who is eligible to be a priest within the Catholic Church. We've heard the conversations about whether priests should be allowed to marry. And this all ties back to the whole conversation about, you know, is celibacy a a healthy thing uh, for for uh, for men and and. Uh, you know, this is a, a, a sticky subject without question, Nikki, and you're tackling it uh, head on. So uh, good on you for that. Where can people find the podcast? Yeah, thanks. You can find it on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, basically, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And for anyone who's listening to this right now and is thinking, oh, my God, that story sounds familiar to me, what Leona had to say, you can check out SNAP, which is the Survivors Network for Those Abused by Priests, or go to the Province of Manitoba website, the government's website, and look at the section, You Are Not Alone, and you'll find resources there for the sexually abused. Nikki, when I am searching for the the podcast, because I have an Android phone, and I was uh, looking on Google Play to try to find the podcast, but there are a, a, a lot of podcasts with uh, the words "This is why" in the title. Is there a way to to narrow it down? I did end up finding it. I just Googled it. This is why Global News Podcast, and I found it that way. But uh, on Google Play specifically, do you know what uh, words, what keywords I should use to to narrow it down? Oh, come on, guys! Don't ask me about technology. <laughs> this is not my specialty. <laughs> I don't know. It's the title of the thing. I don't. I don't know how to. We can, we can get that answer some other way. <laughs> just, just Google it. I don't know. Is there okay. someone who has a tech podcast that we can call up later? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next week on This Is Why, how to find <laughs> This Is Why. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Thank you so much for joining us. We very much Thanks, appreciate guys. it. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.